this, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Today, we are episode two of the quarterly co-host with the one and only Pete Rushmer. Let's jump into the intro. I'll tell you some more about it. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution or one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviors. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin. I'm your host, James McPherson from Risk Fluent. Today is episode two of our quarterly co-host with the legendary Pete Rushmere. We're getting in deep trying to find out what the hell is this road traffic fleet safety management stuff because it's a different world and it's a world that safety, like many others, are having to take on. So there's many of you out there are having to deal with fleet safety and if you are and you're like i have no idea what this is get your pen get your paper make sure you've listened to episode one and uh, come in take some notes and you will learn trust me it gets heavy people it's mega technical but we need to sometimes we need to not be scared of the technical stuff and remember there is some aspects of our work that is quite technical whether we like it or not let's jump into episode two with pete rushmer all right, Mr. Rushmer, you're back, back again. I'm back. This time, this time I'm getting interviewed by Goo, so. Yeah. I've, I've, do you know what? I've had so many fucking facial hairs and like long hairs, short hairs, and I was looking back on, what was I looking at on some photos or a video or something that we've done? And I had like really long hair and a really long beard and fuck me, I look a mess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, I've got some stories to tell you about facial hair, mate. <laughs> oh, mate, this is a good look. I quite like it. But I also feel like in a year's time, I might look back on this and go, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it, going for the tash? My dad had a tash when I was growing up. Back in back in the eighties, dad had a tash right from the eighties through to the nineties. I don't know if it was a uh, inspiration of Top Gun first time round or not. To be fair, maybe. But, um, yeah. So when when I was a kid, mate, I was uh, I was like the man boy, you know, like the man child that like right. grows up way too quick at school. So <laughs> I had like really thick black hair, and I could grow a proper beard by the age of about fifteen. Oh, uh, you're one of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was one of them, like a proper man child. Like I'd walk into the pub at 15 and they go, where's your ID? And I go, just look at this chest hair, mate. Literally, like I'm definitely 18. Yeah. And they were a bit more relaxed back then, back in the day. Um, were you like, just, just look at this chest hair, mate. I've got loads yeah. of chest hair. Can I have 10 mil H, please? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, I had this, I had these sideburns, mate. I had like zigzag sideburns. Oh my back, god. I know, yeah, yeah. Back in the day. So what? like when what? I was 15, that'd have been like we're talking like 2000, 2001. We're talking Craig David first time round when he had the really <laughs> thin beard. And uh Craig yeah. David. <laughs> You're too young to remember this, I reckon. Oh uh, what Craig David? First time oh, round. You're not that old. You're younger than me, aren't you? Yeah, I'm 31. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're quite a bit younger than me. But yeah, I had um 
you'd have been 10 when I was growing my first beard, mate, basically. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I had like these zigzag, zigzag sideburns into like, like real thin zigzag sideburns into like a sort of sharp, sharp beard around and then like the thin goatee. Yeah, man. I've had, I've had some, I've had some shocking facial hair, mate. I've had some shocking hair as well, to be fair. I used to have, so I used to have thick black hair. Yeah. And uh, I had like a mohawk, you know, like David Beckham in like the World Cup, like with the mohawk. I had that with like yeah, yeah, yeah. highlighted bits. Oh, mate, I tell you, what a melt. Jeez, what a melt. <laughs> <laughs> what an absolute yeah. melt. I tell you the, 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 the fucking, how to summarise the British public, right? And, and the audiences. So I've been making content for about about four years now right and if we were to just narrow that down to videos my post my most popular video that i've made on rebrand oh, one sec i'm turning tiktok on for a reason because i need to get the figures uh my most popular video yeah has 1193 views nice i think is that it my, mate, we're doing a view off. I'm going to see how many my most views have had. Oh, no, sorry. Views, 33, 35.3K total. That 1,000 was, was in the in the last month. Sorry. Um, oh, so that's uh, just in the last month, that one. Sorry. I thought it was a bit low. <laughs> so, but, but there's context to that. that I made that video in uh, 2019, right? So okay. That's, that's so you peaked. What you're saying is you peaked three years ago, mate. Well, yeah, I should have retired then, shouldn't I? <laughs> yeah. Right. So I've got thirty-five thousand point. Well, thirty-five point three thousand views on that video. Right. I made a TikTok about me shaving off my beard. Yeah. Top some music behind it and having this mustache. Right. And I did that. Last weekend, yeah, so less less than a week. This video yep. is out. Try and guess how many views that's had. More than thirty-five thousand. Three hundred and forty-two point two k. Wow, mate, you went fucking viral. And I'm like, I'm like, motherfuckers. I've been slaving it for four fucking years making content and I make one stupid fucking video about a mustache and you're like, oh my God, yeah, watch this. This is, no, don't fucking watch this. Watch the shit I get paid for. <laughs> watch this mustache. <laughs> fucking wankers, a lot of you. Amazing. Amazing. On that note, let's talk about safety. <laughs> so my best, my best video was much more recently. It was in December 21. And my most watched video is 22,756. Nice. And that's recent as well. So that's good. But that's not, not thanks to me. So if you quickly search up Angelica Larson or Angelica Larson is a um, Swedish trucker who is also a social media influencer. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And I had her on my podcast. Ah, uh, and that went big time. That went the big time. Yeah. But that'll probably be that thanks to her. Oh my gosh. She's got loads of subs. She's she's famous. Yeah, she's, famous. she's famous. Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how I managed to wangle the podcast. To be honest, 
Nice, well done, mate. Right, come on. We've been fucking recording for ages and we haven't even spoke about that for Sherry's. I know, but remember, I'm longing it out because I know I've got to beat 45 minutes. Yeah, Sherry's got a lot of bullshit to cut out of this at the beginning, unfortunately. Oh, no. She's not cutting this out. This is the best bit. Yeah, it is. Yeah, everyone's listening to it being like, I hope they don't fucking talk about Fleet again. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, it's that Fleet geek. What is he? Right, Pete, in case anyone doesn't know who you are, do you want to introduce yourself and um, also maybe summarise what we spoke about on the first episode as well? Yeah, sweet. So uh, thank you, James. Uh, My name is Peter Rushman. I don't normally speak this poshly, but um, I feel like I need to as I'm a guest on James's podcast today. (laughs) I am a founder and director of Flagship Partners. My specialism is transport and fleet. Uh, I love the trucks. Um, I don't really know what else to say other than it's its whole, whole different ball game. And if you're not sure what I mean, have a listen to the first podcast I did with James, uh, which we recorded a little while ago, and that'll have been uh, that'll have been live for a month by the time you listen to this. So have a listen to that and get your head around road transport law. Uh, and some of the things that sort of govern that transport manager's role. So uh, I am also a safety professional. I've got my health and safety diploma, but I'm also, you know, predominantly focused on the transport and transport manager sector. And uh, yeah, today we're going to be focused, I think, exploring a little bit more that transport manager's role in a fleet business, right? Yes. Yes. Goose nods his head and agrees. Yes. Talk talk to me, Goose. (laughs) Talk about uh, so yeah, mate. That, that is that was that good enough? Was that sort of a professional enough intro? It was all right. It was okay. Right. I made the I made the papers today, though. You made the what? I made the papers today, though. I made the papers. Oh, yeah, look at you. Come on, let's let's share your win because you don't come on your PM calls, so you might as well share your win here. Oh, okay, right, okay, <laughs> good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, come on. You've had a that's a really cool little win. So come on, tell us, yeah, tell that's us more. A cool little win. So. We, we've recently turned four years old, um, which is exciting. And we've recently moved premises because we'd outgrown our last premises. Uh, we had a little a little office initially with a training room and then, and then a separate training room uh, over the last few years, which was based in Peterborough, but in an area called Woodston, which is like an industrial area in Woodston uh, in Peterborough. And uh, we've moved to Fengate, which is like the you know, the epicentre of business and industry in Peterborough. And we've moved Fengate to a purpose-built unit, which we've got like two training rooms with 65-inch touchscreen TVs and all sorts of exciting stuff. I know, right? It's literally like that. Sorry, for, for the for the people who are just listening on the podcast, I was doing the Make It Rain cash. Uh, I'm not really like that at all. Uh, it's been an absolute slog. Uh, to be honest, and anyone that tells you otherwise is lying because it is a massive slog. Um, but yeah, and then we've got like an office, we've got the training rooms. It's really lovely. I feel very, very lucky yeah. to have been able to move in. And yeah, the newspaper have picked up that we've sort of, you know, sort of cracked on really. But they're focused on the fact that we won something called SBS, which is Small Business Sunday, which is uh, something that Theo Pathetis, the former Dragons Den guru type chap um i hope he doesn't listen to this because that was awful um <laughs> it, i'm pretty sure theo Pafia does not listen to <laughs> safety Casey. yeah no that'd be wicked if he did though 
Um, but yeah, so Theo Thetis on a Sunday, if you are a small business owner and you haven't heard of hashtag SBS, uh, which is Small Business Sunday, it's something Theo Thetis does and small businesses write a tweet tagging him in on a Sunday evening, I think between six and nine in the evening. And each week you can enter and you try and write something interesting, funny, witty, catches attention. And each week he picks five winners. So that means there's 250 winners of this every year. Um, And we won it, excuse me, probably two and a half, three years ago. And the paper picked up on that. So it made it look like we'd had a load of investment from a dragon, uh, which we haven't. which is quite amazing so pretty much what you won was an invite to an annual ball and a reshare and like of your tweet and that was it that was it yeah i read the article this morning i was like motherfucker he's been on dragon's den and got invested in that's awesome and uh and no you hadn't you just you just you know reshare a tweet of yours (laughs) it's it's a double-edged sword isn't it because on the one hand I i reflect on it and i think Actually, Ferro Pafitas was like, he's quite a shrewd type of business guy, right? So for people to think that he invested in us, that's a bit of kudos, right? Mm. So that, that's good on the one hand. But then on the other hand, people think that obviously I've had his money to spunk, which I absolutely haven't. Mm. So I don't know. I don't know whether I'm winning or not. I think I just need to look at it positively, James. I don't think, you know, I think I need to just look at it positively. I, I think you should look at it like, gives a shit, like... But- doing all right i don't really yeah. give a shit what anyone thinks like yeah there's no such thing as bad press right that's it yeah look at look at me now with you make it rain cash and yeah <laughs> your new laptop and shit <laughs> you're not recording a podcast out of your spare bedroom are you there you go uh, no i'm not i'm not this is my this is my office that you know it's been carefully manicured look at the shelves and everything look it's all carefully manicured. I'm just going to move that up there so people can see my bookshelf that's been carefully manicured. Shelves, yeah. And you're I right. don't know if you can actually read what's on there, but not really. No, the camera needs improvement. I need to get a better camera, obviously. Yeah. Right, mate. Tell me, what the hell is a transport manager? What is a transport manager? That's a great question. So, a transport manager can be a transport manager without being classed as a responsible person for an operation. Essentially, a transport manager is someone who looks after a fleet of vehicles and has responsibility for them. With a a licensed goods operator, which is in essence what we deal with, and if you're unsure what that is, have a listen to the last podcast, but anyone who operates HGVs over three and a half tonne, or vehicles over three and a half tonne, and they have an HGV operator's license, I have to have something called a transport manager and or if they run passenger vehicles over that side as well uh, they have to have someone called a transport manager who has what's called the cpc qualification so they have a transport manager's qualification there was a, a previously a national qualification which qualified you for the uk and an international one that uh, qualified you to look after international operators licenses uh during the period of the eu boom it just became the international and um even though we're now out of uh out of, out of the eu it's still an international transport managers qualification and yeah essentially it's a level three qualification uh that you have to take it's a shame i don't have the folder but you get you get like a folder like this and it's got about 30 different chapters of whole range of stuff like you'll learn cool stuff like if you have a trailer full of pigs, how soon do you need to give them water? 
There you go. Answer. Little mic, little mic drop moment. Um, so yeah, you, you you find out things like that all the way through to. Well, well, well what's the answer? How how soon do you have to give him water? You can't just drop a bomb like that and not not tell us the answer. I'll be honest, Mike Vickers, my colleague who trains the transport manager CPC, is going to be massively peed off with me, but I can't actually remember. What a fucking joke! What a joke! <laughs> I know, right? Call myself a transport manager. It's- Heath, what about in the next episode where there's two other gents joining us for one of them now? Because feel yeah, like yeah, that, so that'll be Mike. Mike will be in the next one, so that can be the standing joke. Feel like out of all the information that you've given us over the last episode and a bit so far, that was the most important bit. And what you do, texting him saying, "I am. I'm literally. I've literally just WhatsApp. How long does a pig need? Question, question mark. Pig question. Answer. Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll come back to you by the end of the episode. Uh, but yeah, you you learn things like that, and then things like you know understanding what some of the EU certificates and bits and pieces you need to be able to travel into Europe, and you know uh, all of, all of that sort of exciting stuff. Basically, understanding about goods in and and export, and yeah, there's just quite a lot to it. The big thing really, the, the two key areas that a transport manager would focus on in a, in a fleet operation though, will be making sure that drivers are properly managed and that the vehicles are properly maintained. Um, and they're the sort of two key or core areas. And then there's a bit of peripheral, uh, a bit of peripheral stuff, mate. Yeah. So the transport manager qualification isn't an easy one to gain. I think the first time pass rate is under 50%. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a brutal, it's a brutal qualification. Um, it is, like I said, a level three, so it's equivalent to an A level. Um, and but the the exam, the exam is very, very tricky, and it's so it's so wide ranging. You know what the, what is covered, I think, is the big thing because you've got animal like there is elements of animal welfare which I alluded to with the pig thing, but I've took that exam ages ago, and then I haven't done anything with live live animals so why would i need to remember that if that makes sense so yeah. um but even you know down to company structure there's a lot about accounting and all, all sorts of interesting stuff but yeah so how the qualification works some people can do remote learning and then go and put themselves through the exams and there's two exams for it uh one is like a case study so uh, you have to sit down and like sort of write written answers and do loads of working out and there's maths involved and all of that sort of thing and then there's also a multiple guess uh as well and uh, yeah you have to pass both of them training is normally some people do it online some people literally order the folder and they'll just read the folder some people invest in training and then get the folder read to them because uh, that's the quality of the training <laughs> that might happen elsewhere or you invest in quality training like with you would with flagship partners and you get a great trainer like Mike, who if you listen to the next episode, you'll get to hear from my colleagues, Mike and Jamie, because uh, they're going to take over, do the Fleet Geeks takeover. But yeah, Mike, uh, one of my colleagues, he's been training the Transport Manager CPC qualification for something like eight years, I think. Um, and he is uh, he he knows this folder inside out and back to front and what have you and, and sort of trains it but yeah there are companies out there that will literally start at the front of the folder and and just like literally read the folder to you and charge you a lot of money for the training course surely you're not going to be able to pass a test if they just do that surely uh yeah well maybe 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 that's why the industry standard pass rate so low mm. maybe it's because the quality of training shite because i tell you what 
I know for sure that Mike's average pass rate is way over the 50% industry average. Yeah. The Nebosh used to be like that. Nebosh used to have like a 50% pass rate or something like that. And um, and I remember when I got, when I did the general, the guy that did it said there's only a 50% pass rate-ish. Like, I think it was like 50-something, but... Um, and one of the guys was like, oh my God. And he, and then the trainer was like, that's for the whole of Nibosh. The pass rate for this organization is like 90 something percent. He said, it. I think it used to be the same. I don't know whether it still is now. This was years ago. Um, but he was like, because some companies are just shit at what, at what they do with it. And then people fail. Um, that's interesting. So when, so it's a, it's a legally defined role for a licensed operator. That's right, yeah. So uh, there, there's these things called statutory documents, uh, which the traffic commissioner. So I'm I'm sort of starting to recover a little bit of ground from the previous podcast, but obviously it's important that this one stands alone. So there, there's this, there's the the traffic commissioner is someone who regulates the um, transport operators, whether they're bus operators or HGV operators, and they regulate them. If you imagine. The traffic commissioner is similar to HSE in a safety world, right? Yeah. And what the traffic commissioner does is when people want to run uh, run these vehicles, they have to make an application for a license to be able to operate. And when they, when they make an application to be able to operate, um, they have to name a transport manager. And the transport manager has to send in a copy of their qualification. They have to send in their certificate right. for them to be named. So if someone wanted to go and Google now, you know, if you thought of, I don't know, Eddie Stobart, if you went and searched Eddie Stobart transport manager now, it's searchable on on the database and you'd find who the transport manager is for Eddie Stobart uh, because they're a named person on that license. And then what happens is, is when, when there's some enforcement for the license, uh, it might be that the DVSA, the Driver Vehicle Standards Agency, say they carried out a roadside stop on one of the vehicles or there's maybe an issue with one of the drivers, the DVSA would ring up. They wouldn't necessarily ask to speak to the company director. They'd want to speak to the transport manager because he's the person with the responsibility for that fleet operation. Oh. Okay. So, uh, and then if the transport manager is not available, then they'd, they'd potentially speak to the director. But yeah, so the transport manager would be expected if there was ever, so the traffic commissioner will hold what's called a public inquiry. Uh, oh. If there's, potential conduct issues for that operator or things have gone particularly awry and the transport manager would be expected to do, to sort of sit in that and if the transport manager has been found to is found by the traffic commissioner to be negligent or um yeah negligent would be a good good thing or not carrying out his duties as per what's called the statutory documents which is essentially the promise of the traffic uh, the transport manager um they can have what's called they can lose their repute so you can have transport managers so you or i you know if we got found out for not doing the right thing we would we would lose our repute and we would essentially the transport manager qualification is what is it's like a license to practice and essentially losing your repute is having that license to practice taken away wow and that can be taken away indefinitely or it can be taken away for a period of time or you can be forced to have it taken away and then have to re-qualify to be able to um go and practice again as a transport manager so it's a yeah it's a fairly 
Yeah, it's a, it's a thing, right? And if uh, I think that'll probably be blowing people, people's brains, really, that, that, you know, so a lot of transport managers genuinely run around scared shitless of getting found out to be wrong, which is why compliance, and I say compliance, compliance is such a big word in the transport and fleet sector because there's so much riding on people complying with with the law because if they don't comply, they, they personally can be responsible for not complying. Have I blown your brains yet? No, I just I'm I'm surprised how kind of formal it is. What the am I? Yeah, I am. I am to be fair. Like I don't I don't really know of any other like type of risk that is managed within like not what I would call normal work, like you know what we can see without going offshore or something like that, like normal type of work. I, I don't really know of anything else that is so kind of strictly and formally managed like like that, like uh, the roles are licensed and, and so on and so forth. Like you've got two levels of that now, haven't you? Like got the actual driver is obviously licensed and trained and goes through that process, had legal duties. And so I'm not saying, obviously people have legal duties, but I mean, it's interesting when you think like, well, I mean, proportionate to the risk, I mean, driving, I've, I don't know if it's still true, this stat or not, but I, I had a guy on the podcast a long time ago, and he said that driving over 30,000 miles is like the second most dangerous job in the world. Um, probably, probably not far wrong. So when you think a lot of HGV drivers will do 100,000 kilometers a year. So miles. So miles, hundred thousand kilometers in miles is like what sixty-ish thousand miles. Right, mate, I must be boring you. Hey, you're not. You're not. Oh, I've kind of, I knew that. I knew this was coming. <laughs> Yawning all day because I had B and I this morning, and I woke up early. Yeah. But ultimately, I've also been on Zoom all fucking day. So yeah. Have you got a Zoom fatigue? Zoom fatigue is a your, thing. Kicks your ass, right? I mean, it's oh, it's yeah. harder than face-to-face meetings. And I, at my, at my last, I did a podcast just before this one, um, and I was just like uh, yawning my head off, and I thinking, fuck it now. It's going to be even worse when I start talking about fucking transport managers. <laughs> <laughs> so interestingly, I'll share another little factoid with you, because a lot of people don't know this, but the traffic commissioner, their ability to find an operator or a transport manager is literally zero. All they can do is take away their license to practice. So the most severe thing they can do is take away their license to practice. They can do a varying away array of other penalties. So they might curtail a license, uh, which means that if you've got an approval for 50 vehicles, they might cut your approval to 25 vehicles. That makes sense. So, so that'll be, that also dictates how many vehicles you can manage as well. Absolutely, yeah. It tells you how many vehicles you can have. Yeah. So how it's, does that uh, defined? Sorry. How does that get defined? Like how many vehicles you can have? obviously if they if you've done something naughty, they'll cut it down. But like you know, yeah. once you've had your training, do you yeah. start at twenty and then after two? No, you- no, no, I got you. Okay, so. A transport manager, if they're employed internally as a full-time transport manager, uh, they could be responsible for um, a, a large number of vehicles. I, I don't, I must admit, for an internal transport manager, I think it's essentially infinite. 
you know, you could be the name transport manager and then have a team of transport managers that aren't named under you and you could ultimately have a large fleet. I think the expectation would be that you'd need to define how the process is managed in that business. Yeah. Uh, but you could be the transport manager for a large fleet of vehicles. Normally what happens is operators who have big, big fleets, and we don't deal with many of those, and I'm talking like 250 to 1,000 size vehicle fleets, um they will have multiple transport managers named on their license okay um but it's very defined for freelance transport managers so self-employed transport managers are, are what's called external transport managers so smaller operators who might only run one to up to 10 vehicles they might not be able to afford to pay a full-time transport manager and nor is that full-time compliance type role a thing for vehicle operators that are that small so they essentially need a part-time transport manager now external transport managers are allowed to have up to four operators that they work with and up to a maximum of 50 vehicles if they're freelance if they're freelance and the reason the reason for that is that the traffic commissioner dictates the amount of time that is expected to manage pr properly manage the number of vehicles on a fleet and that's why because 50 essentially the expectation is that's a full-time job but like i say with a with an internal transport manager that's employed if you have a fleet that's bigger than 50 vehicles it'd be expected that you'd have a team of people who help you run that transport uh, operation if that makes sense right okay. uh, so like a yeah so yeah you do have you do have limitations if you're an external transport manager um what i was going to say is there are people so people people get a bit funny about there being a traffic commissioner and the powers that they have but actually, I'm I'm pro I'm pro the role, and just to give you an idea of why, and I think this will interest you as well. I hope it's not too boring. <laughs> if you imagine, if you imagine the 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 flip side, right? So, say there was no traffic commissioner, and operators went through the normal courts. Right. Okay, there'd be a possibility for fining them when things go wrong, right? Yeah. Now. If we didn't have a traffic commissioner, if you imagine that there was a fine imposed for drivers breaching their hours or for vehicles not being properly maintained out on the roads, if the fine was, say, I don't know, 10 grand, then the bigger companies might go, do you know what? That's a risk I'm willing to take. If I get caught, I'll just pay the 10 grand fine. Mm. I'm just going to leave that there because really... The other the other way around, with there being a traffic commissioner and, and essentially there being this level of repute and there has to be a license and those things can be taken away and then you can no longer operate. You're essentially managing, you're managing the safety of that operation with no financial penalty other than the penalty imposed on yourself by not being able to have the license. So it makes it, it makes it beyond money, doesn't it? It's not then... Uh, a cash or not investment it, it's it doesn't become a you know this balancing act of compliance v cash mm -hmm. am i willing to pay the fine or not it becomes that's just what you've got to do to be able to operate you've got to run a safe and efficient fleet so are you, what you're saying is that if because they have, I have the ability to find the driver that adds the driver and that I have the ability to enforce or punish the license manager as well, that stops the 
company from playing that game. Is that did I get that? Uh, right? Yeah, basically. So the DVSA are able to find drivers at the roadside. So if if the DVSA stop a driver um and they've got taco infringements or they've got a vehicle that's not properly maintained or is unroadworthy, they are able to find that driver on the roadside. But from a licensed operator, from a from a business operation point of view, there's no fine from the traffic commissioner to to the operator. It is just that they will have their license revoked and therefore they can't operate as a business. Yeah, they have that point scheme that we spoke about in the last one. Yeah, yeah, that that relates to drivers rather than the operator themselves. So we're just you know, there's that sort of transition between the driver and then the transport manager who's aligned with the actual operation. Right. So, so what you're saying is because it's like, it's not, a, you're not going to find the company, it's either you, you're, you're an operator or you're not, like you have your license or you don't have your license. Yeah. It stops them running the, um, you know, the profit margin on this job is, is six grand, one grand if I get caught speeding, let's just fucking let them speed and then we can get the job done and get him on another job. Yeah, yeah. For the times I'll get away with it, I'm happy to pay the fine. Right. Okay. Oh, interesting. Well, that is quite interesting. So the, you, you, when you when you started talking about that, you alluded to there's an argument the other side that people are not for the traffic commissioner. So what are the arguments for not having it then? Why yeah. Do- so I'm I'm not really well versed in it, but I believe there are there is a school of thought that essentially the DVSA who are, who are like the police enforcement of uh, the roads, uh, the DVSA would essentially carry out enforcement action. Um, and then if anything that needed escalating, it would just go through the standard court procedures that, you know, the the, the magistrates and the Crown Court. Um, the issue you've got is that it's clearly a very complex, it's clearly a very complex field. Um, and therefore, there is an element of specialist knowledge required, which is what the traffic commissioners have because they understand, they understand the operation. They understand the legislation behind it. Uh, And it's like its own set of rules that operate aside from anything else. But yeah, there are, there are people that think it should, you know, the traffic commissioners are an expense and it's unnecessary because we already have the courts anyway. Oh, right. Okay. Right. That's, that's the thought process. Kind of a more political argument that we're spending. I would say so, yeah. But it's not, you know, it's not one I'm particularly well versed in. I'm I'm more than happy for us to sort of crack on crack on the way we are. But yeah, the transport manager themselves, they they essentially sign when they join an operator, they sign to commit themselves to having continuous and effective management of that vehicle operation. You hid that one really well, mate, by the way. Uh, fucking prick. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so yeah, they uh, they have they have to sign to say they've got continuous and effective management, mate. But basically, I think my axe to grind, my axe to grind <laughs> That was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. Um he's like James is like, I'm never having this wanker on this on this podcast again. Whose fucking idea was this transport shit? Yeah. <laughs> I just want it to be over. Um, yeah, no, so... To be fair, honestly, I... Um... I learned fucking loads off the last one that I didn't know. And then this is no word of a lie. I've then had out of nowhere, complete coincidence, had conversations where people have rang me up about fleet related stuff. And I'm like, 
I actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was like, I can actually answer this base level question. Please don't ask for any more details because I haven't got the answer. But I, I, I genuinely, even though I'm pretty sure we had the yawning uh, conversation the last time we spoke about this as well. Um, so it's not, it's, it looks like it's a, I am yawning over the topic, but I'm not. I genuinely found the last one interesting and I genuinely took it, took it in as well. Yes. I've also spoke to somebody else who's listened to it, who not listened to it, sorry, who's looking forward to listen to it because he is a safety professional who 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 loosely manages fleet as well. Um and his kind of starting habit pushed on to him. Um so he was like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll listen to that. Good. Well, that's one listener, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're funny, man. You made me laugh. But um, hopefully he doesn't manage them too loosely. No, no, he's tightly controlled, um, managed. Yeah, effectively and continuously managed. So you've, you've alluded to in our pre-chat and in this chat that there is an issue with the training and competence of yeah transport managers yeah there's there's a massive there's a massive training competence issue and i think this is where the rubber hits the road pardon the pun because oh that was a good one that was i know right i know right i should i should literally copyright it yeah um yeah so (laughs) that's where the rubber hits the road flagship partners (laughs) (laughs) rather than the rubber hitting somewhere else Uh, (laughs) um Anyway, uh, you're not going to invite me back on. Uh, no, I am. This is well good fun. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be a um, to What this. was I saying? Right, competence. Yeah, so the issue you've got is this big fat folder, which people learn, and then the exam that they then pass. Whilst it's a license to practice, and um, and this is kind of the whole the whole thing behind the whole Fleet Geeks podcast and everything like that, is that it doesn't qualify people to be able to actually do the job um because the job itself is it will just blow your brain and actually the skills that you learn uh, are all well and good as part of the exam but there's a whole raft of other skills that you really need to nurture as a transport manager and they're very you know those skill sets are similar to the 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 skill set that you'd need to manage you know uh, uh, safety you know it's it's very very similar uh, and it's all about quality of communication it's about engagement and culture and you know it's um the issue i have the challenge i have which is what we're trying to tackle with the fleet geeks and why we've set up a peer-to-peer mentoring group for transport managers as well and that is that essentially people get the rubber stamp of the certificate and off they go you know they're deemed competent to to work and actually there's 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 a massive massive shortfall uh because passing the exam doesn't doesn't really qualify them to be able to effectively manage vehicles you know because that role all of a sudden you're managing subcontractors so you've got maintenance providers who you've got to manage the vehicles you might have no real technical understanding of the vehicles and you've got to manage the maintenance providers who are the experts. You've got to manage the drivers. You might not have ever driven a vehicle. So, and then you've got to manage the drivers. You've got to make sure the drivers are trained and properly assessed to carry out the work. And then you've got to make sure you have all the policies and procedures in place. And, and above all else is that you've got this culture of safety and correct operation and, you know, 
essentially like we're doing this because it's the right thing to do and and managers aren't taught any of that stuff it's a bit like it's a bit like the health and safety qualifications you're taught there's an element of technical ability that's taught as part of it but actually the softer skills aren't although although i would say having just done the ncrq uh, diploma the it does help you i felt that that course did help you go away and research and find that information and think for yourself but there's a lot of there's a lot of transport managers on the transport manager forum who are unable and incapable of thinking for themselves because they've been taught the course and then they'll just, you know, they'll go into a role and they expect to be able to ask other people to do things for them. This is interesting, isn't it? This has got echoes of safety all over it. This has. Yes. hundred percent. This all day should have fucking brought this up 45 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Because you're just about to want to cut me off at 45 minutes, aren't you? Oh, <laughs> last week you did, last time you did well, but this one, oh, fuck. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? But yeah, so I, I talk about... You Sorry. randomly started smiling halfway through there. You looked up and you managed, what was that all about? Hmm? When you were talking then, you just randomly looked up and smiled your head off and then you carried on talking. What was that all about? You just generally really happy in that moment. Or I thought you were laughing at something. I, I thought you were going to stop, but then you carried on. Oh, I can't remember. I'd, I'd have to watch it back, mate. I'd have to watch You look like you're going to make a joke and then you just carried on. And I was like, well, that was random. Anyway, <laughs> right, so. Creepy, creepy. Maybe I was just smiling at your tash, mate. It, it's good, right? <laughs> It's beautiful. I'm sure I've seen it somewhere before, but not not in the office. It's probably in something you watched back in the seventies. <laughs> I reckon it could have been, mate. Yeah. Um, so this is interesting because there, there, there's there's similar there's a similar dilemmas in this, isn't there? Right. So a, a real closed question, like upfront, you can choose not to answer it if you would like to. Is the current qualification delivered correctly? If it's delivered correctly, fit for purpose? No. Oh, nice. That's what I wanted. Right, so why not then? Is it because you you just it because it what is it like a foundation, and then it takes like you kind of alluded to, but it takes more long-term kind of doing and evolving and learning and so on over a period yeah, you would I, I, I think, design the perfect pathway to competence what would be there that you're not getting now yeah absolutely i think um so when i say no i think that that interestingly that's universally recognized so uh in my podcast half dozen things i interviewed beverly bell who was the former senior traffic commissioner in the UK, fantastic, fantastic interview, really interesting woman. And Beverly said that she didn't think that it was fit for purpose and they're looking to reform the qualification. But interestingly, the traffic commissioners are starting to demand that transport managers have ongoing CPD and that they can demonstrate that they've got ongoing CPD, which is their way of going, look, once you qualify, that's not enough. You have to carry on. Mm. Um now, one of the things that they're demanding, one of the things that they're demanding is that anyone who's qualified as a transport manager, after five years, if you apply to go on a different or move an operator's license, they request before they're willing to grant you the license, they request that the transport manager sits a, a properly accredited two-day refresher qualification. Right. I don't know if anything like that's done in safety at all, but that is... 
no so that that is uh you know that that's their commitment to to ongoing cpd so they they demand that transport managers do that every five years um however it it says ongoing ongoing cpd so that was you know i hate to you know i hate to beat the drum about what we've done but what we're suggesting we do which is i believe fairly revolutionary is that similar to the project Miletium wagon wheel we have like a peer-to-peer mentoring opportunity for transport managers where they they can come and share their challenges and start to get the hive mind and start to learn from each other because i think i think that's such a powerful way of learning mm. you, 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 the, the interesting thing is that i find from being in peer-to-peer groups both from a from a business point of view and running a business um is that you tend to give the advice that you need to hear mm. uh, which is one of the things right so people will often give the advice that they need to hear themselves and also they will the issue and similarly with safety i would say is that you don't know what you don't know a lot of the time you genuinely just don't know so until you expose yourself not physically but until you expose yourself psychologically to other professionals <laughs> um until you expose yourself to other professionals you don't really you can't really expand your your knowledge can you because essentially your learning's finite so to be able to play the infinite game of like development and um such you you have to you have to be you have to position yourself so you're the thickest person in the room right yeah uh, for me, I feel like when 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 you have professional bodies, or or even in your case, the enforcer say you've you've done your qualification, but you need to do CPD. It just feels like a cop out to me to say we we can't be asked to reform the 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 route to entry, um, but we acknowledge that it's not enough. It's like well, if it's not fucking enough, then make it enough make it enough like make it make it harder i'm sorry but i got into safety through the the route as it is now is that i i got a job i got um i landed on like in an agency job as an assistant in a health safety quality environment um place and they paid for my knee bosh and i worked my way up and here i am now like so i was in a way kind of lucky that it was like that but looking back on it in hindsight it might piss a few people off but I think it was too fucking easy, too fucking easy to, to get into safety. In my opinion, it should be, it should be, I think it should take like a, I think it should take a couple of years over like a, you know, like a degree type thing. And then, or, or and then like a placement and then like, I think it should be treated like, I know you can get degrees obviously in, in safety. And, and I looked at the one, I think it might be Ashton University do one in Birmingham. And I remember looking at the criteria to that and thinking, do you know what? I, I quite like that. It's better. And it was a couple of years. Uh, I think maybe three years, but it was, it seemed like a much more comprehensive course. Um, and obviously it's degree level, but I, I just, I mean, from my point of view, I don't think any level three qualification is enough to be any form of safety professional. Um, unless, unless you are un, in a team of people. So if it's done like an apprenticeship, all right, 
maybe, maybe that's fine. But like, it's it's not in a lot of places. A lot of places will be, they'll do two weeks on their NEBOSH or their NTRQ or, or MVQ or whatever. And then you could go and work for a medium-sized, small to medium-sized business with your tech IOSH and you're on your own. Yep. And that, that's exactly the same issue as I have with transport managers. They go off, they do the two weeks of qualification, they pass their exam because they're quite good at exams. They they don't actually know their ass from their elbow and they can go out and manage a fleet of 250 vehicles if they can interview well. That's fucking frightening. Yeah. I really genuinely think it is. And it, it's going to take some time before they get found out. Yeah. But the other the other challenge is, is they they might not be around people to correct them or put them right. Yeah. And and they'll be seen as, uh, well, in the same as safety, like they're kind of seen and treated as a specialist. Like yeah. you're the specialist. I'm like, if you're calling anyone the specialist has been on a two-week fucking course, like, that's a joke. And, and you're a bit of an idiot. I remember being in a meeting after a two-week course in my first safety job. Thank God I had managers above me that was actual qualified, experienced safety professionals that sat there. But then I remember being in this meeting and the plant manager was like, you tell me, James, you're the specialist. I'm like, I ain't no specialist. I've been on a two-week course. And and the best thing I got out of that two-week course was the pub lunches that we went to every day. It was great. (laughs) Like... It's a good foundation. It's a good entry to uh, exposure maybe, but like I think if you're going to do that level three qualification, I think it needs to be part of then like an internship afterwards or, you know, where you you have a coach, you have a mentor. I mean, I like the, I, I like the apprenticeship model better. I don't mind the, the, level three apprenticeship. I don't, I, like, I don't mind that less so. The problem is that, my experience of apprenticeships is the quality of delivery there is variable as well. And that they'll say off, off, off the job learning. And actually it's not like, it's just nothing. And, and they cram it into like six months or something. Like, why can't we just take our fucking, I know we want to do things quick, but let's take our time and have some quality over, over just speed. Uh, I think, I think, I think, I think that's one of the issues is that, Certainly young people, and I know I've been guilty of this in the past, that you just want to rush, you want to rush through and be able to get the badge and and crack on, right? But when I reflect back and think, what's got me to where I am now? And like, I'll go and deliver, like, you know, I've been delivering some random training this week. I was doing, uh, yesterday I was doing like leadership and management training um with uh you know with some uh sort of new line managers or, or relatively some experience and some relatively new line managers in a in a drainage company and then and then earlier in the week i was at a furniture company doing like effective one-to-ones and performance management training and you know and i think well where where does that come from because i could speak like genuine i gave i gave a three-hour uh, one-to-one training without a single slide and without a single handout. I, I run it without PowerPoint. Mm. I got great feedback, mm. uh, and that, I'm not meaning to like blow my own trumpet, but that where does that depth of knowledge come from? And I think I've I've nurtured that over like 15 years of going into an industry where I knew nothing about it, and I had to learn from all the people around me. So the communication skills you have to develop to be able to learn from scratch when there's no learning materials, you're totally focused on learning from the workshop people that you're around. 
Yeah. And I, that's how I had to do it, you know. And then I've gone into managers' roles where I've not really, not really known fully how the business operates. So you then have to learn from, you know. So you start to value the people around you and the, you know, the support that they give you and being able to tease information out of people and being able to evaluate what's right and what's wrong, you know that. And and those skills, those skills are a lifetime in development, aren't they? You can't just learn them in a two week course. You you learn them over a period of time by fucking things up as well. Yeah, and and I and I think that that there's a couple of things said there that are really important. Like, I think we're we're not saying that. Well, like, well, I I don't think we are, but I, I'm definitely not saying that we want someone of your caliber at entry level because you'll, you'll never achieve that. Right. Cause Pete Rushmore is fucking amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, the, when you never replace all those years of experience and, and that's not what we're saying. But what no. we're saying is it should be a little bit more than two fucking weeks. Right. It should be a little bit more than a, than a month's course or whatever it is. Um, you know, you, I just, I can't see like, would you ever employ somebody to be a so-called uh, a specialist or advisor to quite a risky subject. Like if it goes wrong as a traffic manager, ultimately one of the dangerous, most dangerous professions in the world, something the driving is that they're managing, um, something could seriously go wrong. If you are a health and safety advisor for construction company kills more people every year in the UK than, than any other industry, we go into a, a small waste company, for example, which have killed the second most people every year in the, in the UK and, and so on and so forth. You're giving advice on, on stuff that's life risk, right? If that was equivalent to any other industry, you wouldn't recruit directly from A-levels, would you? you? You never would. You would never go to an A-level student and go, you're going to come and be my only engineer on site you'll meet only engineer you wouldn't recruit a a level uh finance and come over you're going to be our finance person come on over you come yeah and that's what level three is that's what level three safety is and, yeah. and i'm not saying that we should never have those people but we should have those people those a level entry level whatever um people but but within a framework of people that support them um i am no problem i will recruit one day hopefully an a level level when i'd like to recruit someone better than that but if, if nothing changes and and it is what it is i'll probably recruit someone who's got a level three qualification one day um and but i, I will damn make sure that they're fucking mentored they're supported they're guided through the process i just i, I don't think you'd ever turn around in any other profession and go, yeah, A level. That's the level of qualification I want. You just fucking wouldn't, <laughs> you, would you? But yeah, in safety and apparently in transport managers as well, we go, hmm, what's what's the best level of, of qualification for entry level? So we we think, well, what are we happy with? A level, yeah, yeah. Teenagers, good with teenagers, yeah, cool. Let's let's go. It just doesn't make any fucking sense. And and and, and you're absolutely right. And I think, I think that. It's, you know, particularly in the transport role, that role, the person who does it has got to have the competence and the confidence to be able to really challenge the key decision makers in the business on their thinking. Yeah. And, and so does safety. And, and safety is the same, isn't it? You've got to be able to challenge the key stakeholders in a boardroom 
around their decision making, around their investment, around the choices that they make and the culture they create in a business. Yeah. Uh, and and that's, you know, that's some heavy, heavy, heavy shit, right? I was just, I was, that you can't get a teenager doing. Oh, I was talking about this the other day, actually, because when I got my first safety job, I was 20, I was, I must have been about 20. I'm a teen, I was a kid, man. Do you know what I mean? I, no, how old am I now? Yeah, I must have been about 19, 20. Um, and I was my first safety job. And then I had, um, I did primarily quality, but I did a bit of safety. And then I had a safety team leader above me that was probably 25, 26, I guess. And he had a new boss general, level three, A-level equivalent education. And I don't know what else he had prior to that. But then we had a health and safety manager who then reported into the plant manager. So, and it was a big international company. So there's loads more else there. And we were kind of given a framework to operate within and so on. So I was like, we were kind of well, we were well kind of supported, right? Literally in a matter of months, I went from being that, I've worked there for like a year. Um, I'd started getting interested in safety. They were like, do you want your your knee boss general. I was like, yeah, I'll think about it. Um, and literally within a matter of months, the manager left, the team leader left, and I was the only safety safety person there in the department. So they were like, shit, put James on the knee boss general. So I went away to this lovely place, had pub lunches for two weeks. It was fucking awesome. And then came back and I'm literally in a meeting Exactly the same as what you just said. I'm having a challenge, some very big, very big um, personalities on safety. And I'm like, well, I don't fucking know. Two weeks ago, I was supported by a team of people. And now I'm, I'm completely on my own. And I've got this very ballsy plant manager who's kind of like my way or the highway, who's just kind of like, controlling room and I've now got to turn around and tell that guy what what, what you know with uh, what they're doing the decisions they're making are, are right or wrong or whatever like it's a, it's a fucking big ass and I remember saying to me and Sherry were talking to bring it back to why, why I said this like me and Sherry were talking about the, the other day and I said like I, I wouldn't put that on anyone like I can't I can't imagine how I got through that and, and did all right out of it. And I actually like quite enjoyed that job. And she, Sherry just went, well, that's because you're a bit of a dick, really. Like you like arguing with people. <laughs> so like, oh, thanks. Amazing. Oh. <laughs> that's like out the back. Um, and I just got a target. I mean, it's like, what's that? 150 knives in there now? Is it? No, it was, um, you know, I was, I think it's more of a persona than it is anything else. So I'm not overly confident really, but, I it, it it was a baptism of fire that I got and I was lucky and then they brought in a quality manager and then the, and then we I ended up building a really good relationship with the European head of safety so I ended up having a, a good mentor um and then all my other jobs I had good teams around me that mentored me and so on I was but, fucking lucky but like, I, I guess the the, quest, the rhetorical question is is where in the safety qualification, because it, and it definitely isn't in the transport manager qualification, where is that section, where is that module on robust challenging of stakeholder <laughs> decision-making? Well, this, this is my annoyance, right? Because I... 
If you were to ask me, do you think like the safety qualifications are fit for purpose? I'd say no, I don't think they reflect our roles really at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they train on completely the wrong skills. Um, like I think even in, I mean, I, I did the, the NCIQ diploma the same as you. And so I couldn't compare that really to the NEBOSH diploma because I've never done it, but I can look at that and I'd say, I think it was, it was, it, for me, it felt like it was better than what I'd experienced previously because there was that to your point, it makes you go away and find the answers, which essentially is what we do in our role. Um, so I was like, Oh, that's better. Um, However, like I remember coming to fire safety section and I'm a bit of a fire geek. I like, I like, I like, I'm, I'm a bit like you are with fleet. I'm, I could bore the shit out of everyone when it comes to fire. Like, and I got to this bit and it was like less than 10 pages on fire. And I was like, right. Okay. I think that's more dangerous to have those 10 pages than it is to not have them. Like, I don't think a safety generalist should should really touch fire. Shouldn't should touch it at all. Um, fire is its own thing. And, in, and in, just, in the same way, transport's its own thing, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Like if somebody went to me now, oh James, I want you to manage this fleet of like fifty trucks. I'd be like, fuck off. No, I'm not doing that. I think that's a specialism. But then we come to a problem where we go, how much is a specialism? So as if you imagine a big company, do you end up, what do you end up having a specialist for every type of risk? You can't have that. So you still need to have the generalist, but you need to acknowledge that it, it needs to take longer to train the generalist. And that, and that's my point is my point is not don't have any generalist. My point is have a generalist, but they've got to train for a fucking long time to be a good generalist. You wouldn't go to a GP and be like, oh, why are you a GP? Well, I got a level three qualification. I went to West Angular Training Centre for fucking two weeks, yeah. Had a great pub lunch. Had a great pub lunch, I did. (laughs) That's it, really. I've got me me tech GP. I've got my NHS tech badge. You wouldn't have it, would you? And and, and I know people might be like, oh, a bit of a shit comparison, James. Like, one's diagnosing illness and stuff. So are you, uh, your workplace in safety, you are, you're talking about asbestos that will kill people, silica that will kill people. You're talking about stress that kills people, falls from height that kills people. I mean, your case, driving a fucking truck, which kills a lot of people all the fucking time. But I'm sorry, but like, I'm not exaggerating here. It should take fucking longer to, to, to deliver the competence, not training, competence for these people right i'm going to get off my soapbox now i realize i've been on it for a very long time mate i've, I've enjoyed it, I've enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah i think mike dropped there mate like literally training the difference between training and competence i think that sort of that in a nutshell has really i you know said what i've wanted to say in this this episode mate to be fair oh good yeah. I, I think you've matched it. We're on the same page. We're on the same page, mate. Ultimately, Peter, it sounds like we're dealing with exactly the same problem and, and, and trying to solve it in very similar ways by doing something like you've done with Fleet Geeks and me and Colin have done with, with PM. Like you're trying to do something to drive better conversations and 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 better. I suppose CPD is as good as you as good as you do it, right? Like if you if you've got your own professional integrity, then CPT CPD will be as good as it is. But like, I, I still felt like 
from within safety, like the conversations that you'd have in these CPD approved environments were still pretty shy. Um, and I just, yeah, for me, it was, did, I think there's a lot wrong in safety with how we develop competence. And, and I, think, I don't know whether it's the same for transport managers, but ultimately I think the biggest problem in safety is we're not really sure still what our job is. Ooh. I think I think that's 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 interesting. That's probably a whole new different kettle of fish. But oh, it really is for a transport manager. I think I think they understand. I think the role is nice and clearly defined. Yeah. I think I I think the challenge the so we've got very similar challenges around competence and training and being competent. The transport manager role is very clearly defined, but what I think the challenge the shortfall is is there's a real challenge in leadership and understanding culture transport and how influence is you know there's a lot of influence lacking i think yeah well safety is the same mate i don't think we really teach anyone how to engage with people we don't teach anyone i mean to be fair academia has not even decided on what what's the definition of culture yet no no one really knows i i've, I've just picked my favorite and so is everyone else but you know we talk about we talk about culture quite a lot i don't think anyone really knows what a culture is uh, i think sociology is probably closer than many, many other places but fuck me safety fucking country mile away from anyone else as to what we think culture is, but we don't, we don't teach anyone. And, and that, and that is ultimately the frustration where, where I am as, or, or maybe that's where the frustration started for me was this whole conversation, excuse me, this whole conversation around. <laughs> Caught that. Oh, you dirty bastard. <laughs> <Is> it... <laughs> The whole conversation about skills, right? Or, or like the people that like to make themselves feel better by putting a different word at the beginning. So like, I don't, I don't call them soft skills because they're really important. So I call them power skills. Or like, <laughs> I, I don't call them soft skills because they're really important. So I call them essential skills. Like, okay, great, thanks. What do you do after that? Well, I just talk to people a lot more. Like, fuck off and and i don't how many more fucking panels i need to be on or listen to with a fucking recruiter or another safety professional or somebody from a professional body going the soft skills are really really important if anything i think the soft skills are the most important technical skills are still really important but the soft skills are probably the most important all right i'll fucking do something about it then because our our route to education doesn't even mention it really or, or if it does, it's just a, it's just a hat tip, just lip service. And I wonder, but maybe you guys are the same. Um, yeah, no, hundred percent. It is absolutely the same. There is no, there's no mention of it anywhere in. And, and, and in fairness, I think you're probably more advanced because no one's really having a conversation around it either. So ours is kind of, at the moment, it's largely unspoken. Well, I think I think half our industry doesn't even realise there's an issue. <laughs> That's because they're not good communicators. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> oh, I think yeah. Love it, mate. I don't know. Mate. It's difficult because I think the conversation we're having is just platitudes. I, I don't think the conversation that 
I, I, sometimes I listen to the conversation we have around the competence of our own profession. I'd, I'd rather not have it. Like I'm, I listen to it and I'm just like, oh God. Just- yeah, I, I know what you're saying. And I, I feel much the same in that I listen back to me on the podcast sometimes and I just think that's just chunter, isn't it? You know, you're just chuntering and it is platitudes. But at the same time, you're taking action. Yeah, as long as you're doing something. But that's the point. My profession is not. I don't know whether your profession is, but... No, not largely not, but we're doing our bit to make a dent in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And that's what the podcast is about. And I think the thing is, is you get, I think I think my, my key thing is, and I always have to remind myself is, I kind of get tired of my own voice talking about it, but someone else might be just listening to it for the first time. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's like it's like Seth Godin, the marketing guru that he is. If you haven't come across Seth Godin before, he's absolutely brilliant. But he just said like content, however you create it, whether it's podcast or blog or what have you, anything that you put out on the internet for people, there's no big, there's no big announcement. It's just a billion tiny whispers. Oh, nice. I like that. I like it. And that, that is what it is. It's a billion tiny whispers because over a period of time, that content gets heard by different people. They're not going to listen to all of it. They're not going to see all of it. So you and I feel like we're just absolutely banging the drum and getting on the soapbox all the time. But in reality, it's just a little tinkle in a massive fucking lake mm. of shit. And it's just the little billion whispers that we're making. So just, I think um, it might be worth you answering this question for transport managers and then if you don't cover it for both because i think your response I'll, i might just say ditto if i and then and then potentially i uh, i answer the same question for safety we've just spent x amount of time slanging off the entry level um <laughs> way into the profession right there might be somebody that's listening to this who's a freshly qualified transport manager really happy with themselves really proud of themselves and now all of a sudden they feel really incompetent and they're like shit everything that they've just said i've just done and i felt really proud of what would your kind of response to that or advice to that person be my advice would be don't feel belittled by what I've said because you're on your own journey and you can't, you can't rush that. And it does take time and it takes experience, but also it takes, it takes exposure to challenges. So I think take responsibility. Don't just feel demoralized, but take responsibility. And I think once you open your mind and you make time available to focus on your own development there is a wealth of resources out there to enable you to do it and as soon as you start thinking differently you start behaving differently you know your thought your your feelings are thoughts and then they become actions and then you start taking more proactive actions and think about your competence and think about how you can get better and you ask better questions because a lot of it is about asking better questions so you kind of just need the light bulb to flicker a little and then all of a sudden it kind of there's like this avalanche of content and information that's out there and you just can take it all in and some some people have this paralysis of 
like feeling like they need to know everything. And I think the key thing is that you're not ever going to know everything. So you just need to like sharpen, sharpen that ability to ask the right questions and to be able to get the answer and to know. I think the key differentiator is knowing that you don't know all the answers. So, and being having the humility to be able to admit that and then be have the willingness to just listen and learn to as many different people as you can. There you go. I like that. Yeah. I would say something very similar to the safety professional, you know, know your limitations. Yeah. Mm. Not an expert. I've been doing this 11 years and I'm not an expert like or 10 years. I don't know. Something like that. And I think it's easy to sit around and go, I'm not an expert, but like, know your limitations and keep you know, keep pushing yourself to learn more. Um, if you're not comfortable making a decision, say you're comfortable not making a decision on something. Yeah. And and use and use the knowledge around you. I think I remember coming off of my knee boss, right? And and being a little bit brainwashed, you know, like it makes me sick thinking back that this was me. Um, but like thinking back on it, I remember thinking that I knew more than the engineers that have been engineering for about 20 years. Like, and all it meant was actually I knew the safety standard, the, the, the 20 page standard, probably a little bit better than they do. And it was my job to take their expertise as the expert and facilitate a closer connection between the standard and their working world. And that, for me, that that was my job. But I had it a bit brainwashed into me that I was now the safety expert and I knew how to weld better than somebody had been welding for about 20 years. Even though if you put a fucking welder in my hand, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Do you know what I mean? It's like I was a bit brainwashed. So like, I, wish I'd have, I wish I'd have known my limitations and known my, that my job was as a facilitator of expertise, not a not a deliverer of expertise deliverer a deliverer deliver. I, I think i think we've just created a word i think i have a deliverer Deliver- you are the midwife of ideas yeah <laughs> yeah don't be the midwife of expertise be the facilitator well then a, a midwife is is a facilitator so maybe you should be the material yeah, be a midwife yeah you're not the mum that's pushing out and created the baby and pushing it out you're yeah. not, you're the midwife, you're facilitating, you're taking the safe, the safe entry to the world of, yeah. That's it, mate, mate. This is what it's like when we're supposed to have like a, a conversation of, of representing our businesses on a podcast. Imagine what it was like if me and you met in a pub and had a pint. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, mate. We'll have to do it sometime. Needs to happen. I think you know what? we've known each other a long time. I've still not met you in person yet. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Crazy. It would be over a year that I've known you because you were one of the first members at PM. There we go. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Look at us now. Yeah. Mad, mate. Mate, I've got a, I've got a pump class I've got to get to. Well, mate, yep. Thank you very much. I've, uh... <laughs> mate, edit that out. No. <laughs> no. Right, mate. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast again. Uh, next, it's been fun, mate. It's been next, fun. I'm buzzing for the next one. Like it's just going to be an absolute assault on your listeners' ears. Cool. So, what what's going on next month is your new podcast slash peer to peer mentoring group. Fleet Geeks are coming on here, and we'll have a four way takeover of Fleet Geeks. And you're just, I'm just going to ask you 
the big hard hitting questions and you guys are going to chat it through. It's going to be massive. It's going to be massive. And you're not going to be able to shut Mike and Jamie up. It'll be amazing. Good. Good. Hey, I feel like we should, I should drive to your place and we should do it live or something with the beers on. Uh, That'd be cool. I think they'd be well up for that. Let's do it in person. I don't know. Maybe we should have a chat about that. Anyway, I'll do, mate. You better get to your pump cast. Thank you very much, buddy. Take care, mate. Good to see you, bud. Okay, peeps. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Hope you learned something from it. Hope you got something from it. Don't forget to check out all the socials, all the links, all the everything like that we mentioned in the in the episode, all in the description below. All the websites for Risk Fluent, and if you want to work with us and all that, that's in the description below. Uh, if you enjoyed it and you're not already, hit subscribe and follow and all of that stuff. Um, otherwise, I'll catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson. Thank <laughs> you.